1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Doing the Broadway thing, it's not so much about me. It's about the character. But what you try and remember is what makes you a human and what you could put in the song that makes them a human to move the story forward so that at the end of this Humanity that they're going through, they have an aha moment, which takes them to the next part of their story.
0: Hi,
3: everyone. This is Hal Lofty with my podcast, Broadway Biz. This week, I sat down with the incomparable Cindy Lauper, who I was thrilled to work with on Kinky Boots. Cindy and I spoke about her writing process for Kinky and how she's staying creative in our virtual world on this episode of Broadway Biz. Good morning, Cindy Lauper. How are you?
2: Good morning. How are you, Hal? How's your piano?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I should... uh, Let me... I want to tell the listeners that quick little story. So when we... When Cindy was writing Kinky Boots, um, we would often come over to my apartment where I have this old piano And, you know, they would, we would read a scene or so and Cindy would play a song or two. And one day she turned to me, she said, you know, this piano is like, let's just say it was crap. And I said, Sin, it's in a piano that was given to me by my friend's mom as she was dying, blah, blah, blah. So Cindy said, if this show was a hit.
2: Al, it needed a doctor.
3: Yeah, and you sent the doctor, which was so hilarious. This doctor gave me a call and came over and restructured, you know, rebuilt my entire piano. I'm so grateful, you. It's such a great story.
2: We didn't just go over like that. I actually put together a jug band, which made everybody very nervous. I played dulcimer too, and I don't think Harvey ever got over the fact that I brought my dulcimer. But I just needed rhythm, you know, and there was only Sam, who was part of my writing team, played guitar. And then I had Steve Gabori, who played piano. I had background singers. I brought a guy who played congas. So we had rhythm. And it was interesting. You know, there's such a big difference between what we did then and how it's done now with this pandemic. It's so, so It's so much harder, even writing, because of the latency. You're shouting when you're talking to somebody because (laughs) for some reason when you're online, you always think, they can't hear you, you know. And and the, the problem is it's not that they can't hear you because it's not loud enough. They can't hear you because if they're playing something and you're singing at the same time, you can't hear them and guess what? They can't hear you. So we've tried with speakers and lowering the speakers and singing softer and just trying to get it so you could hear each other. And honestly, it's a big pain in the butt, but you know, we're just, it's so different. It's so different. I
3: can you not know. imagine. So um, would I be correct to infer that writing as an artist writing with your partners uh, in person is much more fluid or... It's faster, (laughs) a lot
2: faster. You still have to negotiate as a singer and someone who doesn't play keyboards or guitar really well. I I have terrible, I mean, and, and truth be known, yeah. When I got a veg out, I should just pick up the guitar or the dulcimer and just play scales, but I don't, I mean, I may try start, start to do that, you know, but it's, it's very difficult because you're always negotiating anyway. So you have to negotiate with someone to play the chord that you kind of want and not make them feel like they are being told to play a chord, you know, (laughs) just got to like, you know, let it happen and then kind of steer it. And, you know, and, and that, is a lot of energy as it is. But, and then there's the people that you've worked with all your life, which is easier. You know, it's much easier because you know where they're going to go. They know kind of where you're going to go and it's okay. You know, you're doing something. Um, But online, you really, I mean, (laughs) maybe it's just, I don't know, it's just a second show. And in second shows, things are just harder, different Way different. We had a very different team. You know, Harvey was kind of like a teacher. And 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 I would bring, you know, I was just, I thought you wanted me to write pop songs. Easy. I can do that with hooks. Because they always say, where's the hook? Where's the hook? You know, that's great. Where's the hook? You know, so.
3: <laughs> I was going to ask you uh, about that. You know, so what sparked your interest Uh, in writing for Broadway?
2: You know, at first, I wanted to write my story and maybe do a one-woman show about what it was like growing up in Queens and Brooklyn and the people and the women that I saw um, that inspired me visually and through whatever heartaches they were going through. And seeing my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt as women, which is very different times I grew up in and that they grew up in, my grandmother was born at the turn of the century. So the last century. So she lived through women's rights, which she never even got to experience, Um, and then my mom lived through the second world war and what that was like and my aunt living in growing up in the 50s or the um late 40s and trying to navigate what she wanted and in reality the culture that i was born into plus the american culture And society and religion and the laws did not really promote uh, any kind of advancement, not only for people of color, but basically for women. So those people, those dreams that were dashed, those stories were all of my aha moments in writing. And I listened to my mother's Broadway records, not that we ever went to Broadway because literally we couldn't afford it. And, um, a night out like that was, but was like too much. So she would take us to everything that was free. We went to the Delacorte theater to see the Shakespeare stuff, the, Greek tragedies. Although I must confess, some of them Greek tragedies, like Medea, I kept looking at my mother, saying, "Thinking to myself,
3: holy, is she trying? Right? Is she trying to tell me something?"
2: <laughs> I was like, "Come on, ma, snap out of it!" <laughs> you know. Um, but it's it's the the whole idea of how I learned was really through my mother meeting my father and his love for culture and 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 the arts and history and literature my mom became captivated with because in sicilian italian homes uh women are not encouraged to read participate in culture what you participate in what your role in the world should be, right, is domestic labor, basically, and having kids. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a family and having kids. What's wrong is being told that that's what you are here to do. And it, it's just like, when I spoke to my cousin, she was older than me, and she said she went to college. I said, "Oh my god, you went to college? What were you going to be?" And she said, "Be? I wasn't going to be anything. I was going to get married." And I thought to myself, "Oh my god." You know, and that's when that's what you taught. That's what's ingrained. That's the problem. <laughs> that was always the problem.
3: And I happen to know it's true because my brother married a wonderful, wonderful Sicilian woman and her parents, uh, my brother's in-laws, you know, that's what was ingrained. And, and my sister-in-law's mom, you know, she used to laugh. She had a TV in the kitchen and she would call that. I, she would say to me, I have an Italian divorce <laughs> because she would spend a lot of time in the kitchen and her husband barely went in the kitchen Um, And yeah, that's what was expected of her. My sister-in-law was the first one person of her generation to step outside that box. So you're absolutely right about that. Well, yeah, you're supposed
2: to marry an Italian or you were supposed to marry, honestly, a Jewish lawyer. And I kept saying, what if you're a freak and nobody wants to marry you? (laughs)
3: Well, my sister-in-law did half of it. She married a Jewish person, but my brother is not a lawyer. He's an educator. So she got it half right, I guess. (laughs) This
0: podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions Supply.
1: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
3: 18 plus. You broke a glass ceiling in 2013. You were the first woman ever to win the Tony Award for both score, you know, and lyrics, and, and you were the first woman who ever did that. What was that like for you when you, you know, heard your name, and in that instant, in a nanosecond, you just, you know, you changed forever um, a trajectory of, of how women can function in the Broadway industry? Honestly,
2: Hal, I was so worried about the show being a success that I just felt like we won, and that means it's a hit. You know, honestly, so stupid, right? It's very stupid. I think it's good that the ceiling was broken. I think it's good that the team we had was a great one. I certainly don't think I knew what the heck I got myself into, or even knew what I was doing. I was just trying to do the right thing, make it right, make the sound right, make the story right, make the songs, songs that you felt emotional about, that you could understand each different person who was singing. And because Harvey kept saying, I kept saying, well, what are the rules? Because, you know, tell me what the rules are. And he said, there are no rules. And when he said there are no rules, I was like, nobody's going to be, you know, telling me you can't write music like that. You can't sing music like that. You have to sing music like this. So all of a sudden, all the stuff that I was told I wasn't supposed to do, I did.
3: Were you told
2: that previously by by when you were writing pop songs? Yeah, record industry, record industry. Yeah, yeah. It was always like sin. Like when I did Half Full of Stars, they said sin. You're a, you're a celebrity. You can't. You're Cindy Lauper. You can't write this. You can't sing this. I'm like, okay. So then I kind of made it a thing not to be a celebrity. And then they said, Sin, you need to be a celebrity. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, it didn't matter. With the record company, actually, it didn't matter. And the way the record business is now, it's like it's gotten so corporate. I came up from the clubs. I learned how to perform in a cover band, in cover bands, which wasn't just one. And I used to feel like you know there's gotta be something more, so you know, I just was you know caught in a weird world, but I kept going, and I got to the next level where I could perform in the city where people just came to hear you actually sing i thought wow this is this could be for me, and um, you know, and I just then I started. Working on writing songs again that I thought people would want to hear or, you know, it was really always about me because I think I'm very self-centered. You know, doing the Broadway thing, it's not so much about me, it's about the character. But what you try and remember is what makes you a human and what you could put in the song that makes them a human To move the story forward so that at the end of this humanity that they're going through, they have an aha moment, which takes them to the next part of their story. I don't know. That's kind of how I think this thing that I'm doing is. But, you know, now I'm so happy I went to school for art. Because, yeah, I'm not doing any of it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sin, I I would love to talk to you about inspiration because you were just sort of mentioning that about writing songs uh, for you. One of the most beautiful songs in Kinky Boots, the one that over all of our wherever we went, the one song that just hit everybody like right in the heart was uh, Not My Father's Son. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what was the inspiration? How did you come up with that notion? Because you wrote such a beautiful song in the end that even the hardest of hearts in that theater I would watch would just, people would just tear up. So what was the inspiration for you for that, for that moment?
2: Watching uh, my own son and my husband and watching the expectations and the unspoken expectations or the very spoken expectations that sometimes as a little human you can't do it like them you can't be like your parents and that's that's the the hardest thing For kids and for parents. For kids, it takes so much courage, especially if you have a parent who's successful at something that you aspire to do. It takes so much courage to divorce yourself a little from them and become and look inside your authentic self and find the things who you are. You know, and and that's the hardest thing. And and even, you know, a kid played hockey. He was wonderful on the ice, actually. He had great wrists, and he could um, see the ice in a completely different – like he, he could just see the whole thing. And that is what was special in the fact that when he did skate – he used to tell us, as a kid that he could he felt like he was flying. I saw him disappoint his father or he his father disappoint him, and I saw which happens, and I'm sure I disappointed him plenty of times, but um, I just saw him come out in this little Spartan, all these little Spartans, you know, with the helmets and the whole you know sticks and pads and the whole thing and It just hit me one day, I'm not my father's son. I'm not the image of what he dreamed of. And my mother-in-law once said that my husband, which I agree, has the patience of Job. I thought, okay, what about with the strength of Sparta, because they looked like little Spartans, and the patience of Job? still couldn't be the one you know still couldn't echo you i can't be your reflection even if i try so hard i still can't because in reality in the end i have to really look to my own authentic self which if you listen to any um any of those master classes You'll hear people say that all the time, that you have to be your authentic self. And what Harvey was talking about, that was the heart of what I thought Harvey was talking about.
3: What a beautiful, beautiful story.
2: Well, maybe, just a long one, I guess. I'm sorry. <laughs> no,
3: it was—it it is a beautiful story, and it was beautiful... In, in the show itself, it touched people in a way, like I would say, the hardest of theater goers would, would be moved. Sin, when you write a song, uh, do you have any hopes or aspirations how the song will be received, or do you not think about that? You just write um, for yourself? No, 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 no.
2: I Well, yeah, you have to kind of write for yourself. I guess in, in, in a show thing, I, I'm just trying to write, something that is good enough that people will enjoy that's catchy I mean you get to different levels of a song like that's your first thing but then you got to look at it and think does this have a lot of feeling does this uh, make you feel anything for this character and uh, you know, you look at it again. You have to think about relationships with the people. And then you, you know, that's that's where I am right now. Uh, before, all I know is I never write something and say, okay, this is how I do it. Because I don't really care. I just care that I'm doing it. I don't care if I pick up an instrument that can't really play, but it already has some chords on it, and with those chords, that's how I write that song. I, I don't care if I sit with an omnicord and press buttons. I don't care. I don't care how it comes. I don't care if I wrote a poem or a story first. Now, with what I'm doing with the show, I'm starting to learn that I need poster boards and a an arc thing and I have to write in what I need before the song to move things. I got to write like the thing and it's a collaboration with someone else who's writing the book. And so it's, uh, it's always this way, I I guess this is new way for me, but, um, because basically Harvey told me, I want a song called, it has to say. I'm like, all right, okay, I could do that. Jerry jumping up and down in the rehearsal room going, I want a song where everybody says, yeah. And I was like, okay, everybody say, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, that's where that came from. And then, you know, I just tried to give what I thought would be Make the show better, I think I must have come along in kinky boots well after the fact of having them do it already and throw it out and start again, right? Didn't I?
3: Yes, you, yes, you did. Well, not we didn't go too far down the road with the other composer, um, because Harvey immediately realized that that there was not uh, it was not a marriage made in heaven, and basically said to Daryl. Roth and myself, the other producer, um, Harvey said, look, you can either choose them or me, but um, we're not going to be able to work together. And he, he was very astute about that. And after six months of just trying, he said, we're writing very different shows. Um, which we were you know disheartened by but he said I have an idea who could write this show and I we was like who and he said Cindy Lauper and I I remember immediately thinking oh that's genius that's really genius. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah 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 cuz there was just something about you know don't forget Cindy I had I had seen you perform many times I had listened to your music I was a big follower and you know I just knew or sense that you had it in you, that you were going to be this new brilliant voice in in Broadway and bring both- Well, I don't
2: know if I'm brilliant, Hal. I wish I was. If I was brilliant, I would already know how to do stuff. But every time I come to a new thing, it's like, ay, yay, yay Okay. You have to learn something new now, like totally new. And I think every time you do this stuff with a show, and tell me if I'm wrong- Ain't it that you have to relearn everything, that it's always different, that it's never the same?
3: But the fact that you're willing to relearn it or look at it through a different lens is what makes you a brilliant artist. It really is. You know, there was nothing, the one thing I learned about you during Kinky Boots was there was nothing precious about you or what you wrote. If it didn't work, it was gone. And, and you were the most, I think, critical of that, of like, that song doesn't work. And, you know, I remember Jerry, you know, Harvey saying, wait, 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 don't, don't, don't be so quick with that. But you were like, that song doesn't work. Get it, you know, let me rewrite something better. And it, it always astounded me that you did that. And that is, to me, a sign of brilliance. Sin, I know that you have very, very limited time, but I want to just ask you what I call three... Rapid fire questions, which means I'm just going to ask you when you answer. In
2: other words, short answers, will ya? Okay. The first
3: thing that <laughs> pops into your head, okay? <laughs> this is okay. do you hear, do you see to my listeners why I adore this woman? I mean, she's okay. incredible. Okay, so one, the first one is what is your favorite musical?
2: Hmm. Honestly, well, there's a lot. I don't have one. I know the ones when I was the ones that I was little that really shaped what I do now would have to be The King and I um because of all the different voices. Oh yeah. I just loved all the different voices and um funny girl. Those were kind of like my favorites. But you know, now that you go to see theater, you know. I knew all about Romeo and Juliet when I was a kid because we went to the Delacour Theater all the time and there was always a version of Romeo and Juliet. It's so funny cuz those show, those Shakespeare plays, you know, my I had a friend once and he went to college and he was an English major. And I turned on channel 13 and I was watching it. And he said, you don't even understand what they're saying. I said, yeah, I do. Yeah. See this guy over here? He did this to this one. And now this one's really up, you know, because that's what it looked like to me. You know, and he's like, oh, it's a whole different language. It means something else. It's old English. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay.
3: You know. You're you're a genius. You're a genius. You know what you could do if if you ever want to just change professions. You could go into schools and teach Shakespeare just like that. (laughs) This is what happens, you know? I mean, kids would love it. They would love
2: it. No, you can't do that. I mean, listen, people go to learn English, which is is, is an art. And I always think one of these days I should just learn proper English. But for now you know, I'm learning something else. And I had to learn Pro Tools and I had to learn Zencaster, which is what you're on, um, you know, because now that's our new world. Um, and to participate in the new world, you have to learn how to do certain things.
3: Right. It's exactly what I said a little earlier about you learning certain tools for Broadway musicals, Um and you're willing to do that and explore that. And that's what I think makes a person brilliant.
2: Well, I'm still learning, Hal.
3: The day I stop learning things is the day I die. Every day I learn something, I do. And I'm not even aware of it when I do, but I, I learn something. Final question of today is, what is something you hope will change about theater or the entertainment industry in your lifetime?
2: Well, a lot has changed, um, but the corporate mentality always seeps its way back in. And it's just two different things to me. I can't mush them together, although to sell it, it has to be corporate, but I am not that. I think, um, I think for Broadway, I just hope it can come back. I think uh, we've been kind of decimated. We've uh, kind of just, I'm just hoping it can come back. You know, you, you, you want to change. I want to see it come back again. I want to see it live. But we can't until everyone has a vaccine, until we start to understand about contagious diseases. And somehow we got to figure out How you cannot have to be right on top of each other and squished in, but you know I don't see how you're going to make any money in a small theater because I think it's small, isn't it? What is it? You you look if you have a thousand people in there, right?
3: Yeah, or a thousand. The the you know the largest one you know is fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred. Yeah, it's it's still not that many people when you think about it, you know. And if you have to reduce that even more. We are going to have to look at the economics of Broadway. We we will.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they are.
3: No. I know that
2: it's always exciting to go see a show, if you can go see a show. But I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm just writing right now, and I'm hoping that this comes together. I think it will.
3: You know? Yeah. Yeah, um, look, I think we will figure it out, Cindy. I just, you know, the fat, you know, the theater is called the fabulous invalid, and it's always been why. Well, it's always because it's always threatened to, you know, to die at some point. You know, when when movies came out, it was going to, you know, when talkies came out, it was going to kill Broadway. When you know uh, uh, the DVDs and things came out, it was going to kill Broadway. Okay um, and you know and it never has you know there is something about being live that can never be captured on streaming or on a Zoom or this as even as well as it's done um there's something about being in a theater with other people in the dark laughing and and crying at the same moments that i think cannot be replaced so i think Well, that's if
2: you could get him to laugh and cry.
3: That's good. Well, if you can't, but that's another, that's a whole different topic for a whole different uh, podcast. (laughs) But you're right. You're right. Cindy, I'm going to let you go because I know you have a lot of things to do. I'm just so grateful that you took the time to be with us today. Um, And I love you tons. And my wish for the future is that you and I get to do another project together.
2: Well, that'd be great, Hal. I thought you were a great producer.
3: Uh, well, Cindy Lauper, you be well. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Me um, too. You know, because when we do come back, I want to see you there. Okay? It's a date.
2: Well, I'll have my show ready. That's for sure. <laughs> right.
3: Okay. And I'll be the first in line. All right. You be well, a Big hug and kiss. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm not
0: my I'm not the image of what he dreamed of With the strength of Sparta and the patience of Job Still couldn't be the one
3: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Broadway Biz is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. is produced by Dylan Marie Parent and Kevin Connor, and is edited by Derek Gunther. Our theme music is by Nell Benjamin and Larry O'Keefe. Be sure to subscribe to Broadway Biz and follow us on Instagram at Broadway Biz Podcast.